informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Agriculture of America, AOA. Thank you for joining us here today on the program. Brought to you by our friends at Senex, Senex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Find your nearest Senex location online at Senex.com. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Got a great show for you today. We'll continue our harvest tour around the country. Coming up at segment two, we'll take a look at Illinois. We'll talk with the Cal Basgro agronomist Randy Niver on the way here in just a little bit. In segment three, at the bottom of the hour, we'll talk with Robbie Minnick. He is the uh, head of Washington operations for the National Cotton Council. And we're going to get an update on some of their priorities and more. That's coming up here in segment three today. Then at the end of the show, we're going to talk about farmers for soil health. We've talked about it before here on the program. Going to get a refresher on what exactly farmers for soil health is. We'll talk with Neil Bradyhoff with the United Soybean Board coming up here at the end of the program today. First up, though, we are being joined now by the National Sorghum Producers and their Chief Executive Officer, Tim Lust, is with us here on AOA. Tim, it's great to have you on the program. I hope you're doing well. Good to be with you, Jesse. Well, Tim, let's uh, dive in, talk about some things. And I think for starters, let's start on the legislative side. Obviously, we have plenty of uh, turmoil going on in D.C. with the House Speakership and more, and that's holding up ag appropriations and a farm bill, et cetera. Uh, what's your take uh, on the whole situation going on in D.C.? What's some of the latest you're hearing about uh, getting a, a farm bill done by the end of the year, Tim? Well, I think obviously uh, anytime you have all of the challenges that are that are coming up right now, it, it tends to slow down processes. And so um, you know, I think that that's the challenge. I think the other side of that is, is, you know, certainly, uh, everybody understands that a farm bills up and, uh, and, you know, it is, it's time to move. And, and I think the committees have obviously been preparing, uh, in terms of that, the big question for us, uh, you know, same question that we would have had last January is, is when we look at the safety net, there's, there's just not many resources there. And it's really hard to do a bill uh, that that helps protect agriculture when you don't have the resources. So, our our our, our talking points last January would have been the same that they are today, and that is is you know trying to figure out how we get resources into this bill uh, that allows us to put a, a viable safety net uh, under our growers at a time period when uh, we have just seen uh, cost of production increase substantially from when we last did a farm bill five years ago. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, seeing prices come back down, um, you know, we have been blessed with some higher market prices the last several years, but certainly seeing those drop at this point. Uh, and just a concern about, you know, what does that really look like from a safety net standpoint? Well, and thinking of that safety net and you look as well at reference prices, crop insurance, uh, so many pieces go into this, Tim. Uh, I, I know that there's there's a lot that uh, groups such as the National Sorghum Producers uh, want to see done in this farm bill and trying to get things updated and modernized to, to some degree, right? No doubt about it. Um, certainly, you know, some of the provisions that were in the last farm bill related to reference prices, you know, for our commodity certainly are helpful that allow that uh, reference price to tick up here over the next few years. But 
even that doesn't really do what needs to be done. And uh, so it is one of those that, that is there. Of course, crop insurance remains kind of the cornerstone of the farm policy program and cornerstone of, of what our growers uh, ask for and need. Um, but when we look at that, um, you know, a lot of that is dependent upon having a, a price situation that provides some protection there. So as prices go down, uh, you know, that's not as effective of a tool either. So it just really points back to that Title I focus and uh, something that we continue to be very focused on. Um, been around long enough to see enough of these go. Uh, just when you think it's the dimmest and the least chances, uh, somebody will find a way forward. Somebody will find uh, uh, some creative path to, to go forward. So I have great faith that we'll get there. Uh, do we get there in the timelines proposed? Um, may, may or may not, uh, I think, remains to be seen. Uh, of course, is if we don't, we get it very far into next year, you just have an election year dynamic that certainly adds a lot of challenges to the process as well. So um, uh, more mm -hmm. to be seen. Uh, it's not been boring in Washington, D.C. this year, and I don't expect it will be the next several months either. And definitely hasn't been boring. Tim, what are some other priorities uh, for the sorghum producers uh, on the legislative side, regulatory side? What else is on the minds of your organization right now? Well, continue to spend a lot of time uh, related to crop improvement tools and uh, with what is happening uh, uh, with uh, the Environmental Protection Agency and, and looking at Endangered Species Act and how that impacts all of these products. Uh, certainly, you know, we talk about new chemistry, but there's just a tremendous number of existing chemicals that have to go through re-registration processes and have to go through the endangered species uh, process. And so continue to be very concerned about that. Um, those are the tools that our growers rely on. Uh, many of those tools have a tremendous safety track record and thousands and thousands of studies on their safety. Um, and frankly, from an international competitiveness standpoint, uh, those are tools that our, our competitors around the world have. And so continues to be something that, that we focus on and is important to our industry is we just don't have that many products. Some of the other larger commodities have more products, uh, but uh, the ones we have certainly are, are critical to our growers. We're talking with Tim Lust, the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers here on AOA today. Tim, let's turn our focus over to uh, this year's sorghum crop. How are things uh, looking with the crop across the plains here this year and uh, some of that harvest activity and more? Uh, how are things looking? What are you hearing from folks? Well, it's um, uh, a very mixed bag this year, and, and timing uh, of planting made a tremendous impact this year on, on where our yields are. So started down in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas and, and just had record yields uh, in those areas. Early sorghum uh, just just broke all yield records that there have been down there in many of those areas. And so started off really, really positive. Um, as we move further north, uh, the sorghum that was planted really early uh, came off pretty good. Uh, anything that was, was very late at all, we had tremendous promise with, with rains in May and June. Uh, and then just brutal heat and no rain for, for 90 days, 60 to 90 days in many areas. Uh, so, you know, we're going to end up about average probably on yield, maybe a little bit below average. Uh, but I think the frustrating part is it's just had so much tr tremendous potential early on uh, that we just needed one more rain to get. Uh, some of this late double crop sorghum actually looks very good too. So 
um, you know, it, it will be uh, go down as an average to slightly below average year. Uh, the, the challenge will be it, it had a lot more potential than that. Well, I know folks could stay up to date with everything going on with the National Sorghum Producers online, sorghumgrowers.com. We've been talking with their CEO, Tim Lust, here today on AOA. Tim, thanks so much for a few minutes of your time, and we'll look forward to having a conversation again down the road. Thanks so much, and have a great day. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right. Tim Lust there with the National Sorghum Producers here on AOA. Coming up next, we're going to get a harvest update. We're going to move up to Illinois. DeKalb Asgore agronomist Randy Diver will join us here on the program. Brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. We'll be back with more here on AOA right after the break. On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. So how's harvest? Higher yield potential starts with the season-long systemic disease protection of Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides protect corn crops from key foliar diseases and support physiological benefits that help develop healthier, higher yielding corn for a difference you'll appreciate at harvest. Visit your FMC retailer for an at-plant advantage. Always read and follow all label directions. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. Tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference bite by bite.
Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. And you can find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. We're continuing our harvest tour around the country. We want to look at what's going on in East Central Illinois right now. Joining us, DeKalb Asgro Technical Agronomist, Randy Nivers with us. Randy, great to have you on the program. I hope you're doing well. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Well, let's jump in. How is uh, fall harvest looking in your region there? Corn, soybeans, uh, how are things shaping up here? I have to think combines are uh, rolling pretty fast and furious right now. Yeah, we had some really good start here to uh, to harvest this fall. We've got a little bit of rain right now that came in last night, and uh, we're kind of getting a little bit of a break now, but uh, beans have been going hard, hot and heavy here the last couple of days and trying to get uh, as much done as possible before this rain came in. And I'll tell you what, bean yields this year are excitingly good compared to what uh, the weather we had this, this summer. And, and we're pretty excited about the, uh, about the conditions that, that we're harvesting in. It's been nice long days. Uh, things are cutting pretty good for the most part. And uh, the yields are, are being really good, especially in some some new Asgro 33 XF3s have been really hammering at home for a lot of our growers. It's a good, versatile 3.3 maturity soybean that uh, has handled about anything that's been thrown at it so far. So it's pretty exciting to see some of these new technologies and, and new products really uh, do really well for us. And uh, as far as the corn goes, uh, we've got a good start on that as well. A lot of folks switched over to beans to try to get those hammered out, but uh, corn got started uh, a couple weeks ago, and and uh, again, same thing. Corn is is doing a lot better than expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we were thinking back in June, when we were nothing was growing because it was so dang dry, and and turns out that uh, uh, the way that the fall ended up, that we had moisture at the right time. Uh, you know, it wasn't a bunch, it wasn't abundant, but it was enough to keep things going. And uh, when we got to pollination, things turned out pretty darn good during pollination. Temperature-wise, wasn't too hot. Uh, had some moisture when we needed to. And uh, it was able to to get a good pollination and, and mm-hmm. good grain set. So uh, corn yields have been absolutely fantastic as well. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some pockets that that uh, got hit harder with the drought than others. And, sure. and they're not quite as exciting. But uh, for the most part, uh, the yields overall are excitingly good compared to what we were expecting i was gonna say uh, you brought up uh, the start of the year and uh randy i mean you know I, I we heard a lot of the stories we saw the pictures a lot of folks central illinois east central illinois even western illinois a bit too i mean there was a there was a lot of concern there early on that this was not going to be a good year but it, it sounds like things uh, turned out much much better than expected yeah. Yep. And, you know, we always find you know, after the fact planning dates make uh, how big of a play those have in them. And uh, we always have a window that doesn't turn out quite as well as as others. And, you know, for us this year, it was the end of April, the very first couple of days of May. Uh, we had uh, a really good planning conditions, but right shortly after, within a day two after uh, that that window, we had a pretty good hard rain. And uh, had some crusting, so we lost a little bit of stand from that. Uh, plants were a little bit weakened because of you know trying to fight through that crust, and um, 
you know, there was a hard enough underneath of there that the root conditions weren't all that great, didn't have really good uh, um, root development. Uh, and we're seeing those those plants struggle, you know, throughout the whole year, and it's still showing up. You know, we're seeing yields off a little bit in that in that planting window. But you know, when we think about planting, you know, we we always think it's a it's a race. You know, get it all done as soon as we can. And with the planters that we have now, they're they're excellent technology. We've got you know about anything we can think of at our fingertips. Speed has gone up a lot. Uh, the thing to think about is being able to spread out your window, take some risk off the table. Granted, you're, 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 you could lose the one best window the whole time, but you could also be planting in the worst window the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you want to get started early, plan a little bit and stop and then plan a little bit and stop. Um, the, the hardest thing is, is telling somebody like, you know, this is, this this is something I've been seeing all over the place, all because of the same planting window. Sure. And then they, they respond back that they planted everything in that window. It's like, Oh man, um, let's, let's, let's think about this again. So, you know, if we can spread out our risk a little bit that way, uh, that will help out uh, a lot of, of concern uh, across the board, in my opinion. And it's, it's a hard thing to do. Once we get rolling, uh, we want to keep going. And, mm -hmm. you know, if we can, if we can just think about a little bit of, you know, if we put all our eggs in one basket, uh, you know, there's bound to determine that something could happen to, uh, to really hit us hard. So, you know, if, um, if there's a concern about being able to stop, then maybe we wait till there's perfect conditions before we get rolling. But yeah. uh, that's, that's something that I, I've seen the most of this fall and, uh, and, and all throughout the year, really, from shortly after planting. And it, it's been that window. So, you know, folks that planted everything in that window, it's been a hard conversation. So that's something I'm trying to uh, relay that, you know, we can do better as, as farmers. That, mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we can if we can spread out our risk a little bit and uh, take a little bit of pressure off, that not, may not be a, such a bad thing. Randy as well. Uh, how was this growing season as far as pest or disease pressure? Was there anything big that stood out to you? I'll tell you what we had, we were pre pretty dry. Um, you know, even through the drought time, we really didn't have much of any humidity until the end of July. Um, we were seeing next to no disease pressure in corn and nothing in soybeans. Uh, so a lot of folks were, were worried about you know, pollination and how dry we were early. It's like, do we, do we spray fungicide or do we not spray fungicide? And if you did it by scouting, most of them would not spray fungicide because there was not any disease pressure. Um, we do have, we, or we have had some issues with, with um, tar spot in the past. So trying to stay ahead of that was enough for some people to say, I want to pull the trigger. And if, if the weather turns to where it's perfect conditions for tar spot, I want to be ahead of it, not behind it. And we're still seeing a 15, 20 bushel response to fungicide uh, with Delaro or Delaro complete at, uh, at tassel timing, even in the lack of disease pressure during that window. So, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely some activity in the plant to help mitigate stress, whether it's drought, whether it's heat, whether it's disease with an application of fungicide. And that's showing up true again this year. And the same thing in soybeans. It's been a really nice response of, of soybeans with fungicide. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed a little bit more of is those plants that had uh, a good shot of fungicide at, uh, at R3. There are some of those that are holding on to their green leaves a little bit more because they were, they were kept healthy. And they're trying to put as much yield into those soybeans as they can. 
So, you know, that that is uh, something to think about when it comes to especially a high yielding area. If you end up with, uh, you know, 90, 95 bushel beans, which is above average for us here in East Central Illinois, um, you know, that's that's an opportunity where there could be some some leaves hanging on just because that that plant was was trying to uh, put as much as much energy into that seed as it could. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and and it was kept healthy. And, you know, it, if it was better conditions earlier, maybe it'd be 100, 110 bushel beans. We don't know. But, um, you know, there's plenty of energy there for it to finish. And uh, stay green and corn is fantastic. Stay green and soybeans is a little less exciting. Randy, before we let you go, anything final you would uh, want to share with us real quick? Anything else uh, on your mind here as we're wrapping up the 2023 harvest? Yeah, the things to think about for me for next year is, is think about how this fall has gone. Uh, prepare your planting for next year right now. So uh, as we get through harvest, don't uh, uh, don't be pushing too hard to, to um, rut things up and make a mess for you this fall to where it's going to be something you'll be battling with next spring because it'll be something you'll be dealing with for a couple of years. You know, we talk about soil health all the time. And uh, when, you know, the better we can, we can treat it throughout the fall, the easier it'll work for us in the spring. So keep that in mind. Stay safe. Um, you know, as days get longer and the, and the work days get longer, the days are getting shorter and it gets darker quicker. Just uh, keep in mind, you know, where your people are and uh, be as safe as possible. We want to make sure everybody goes home at night and, and is able to see their family at night and the next day. So uh, that's, that's the only, the, the biggest thing we could wish for is just stay safe and enjoy harvest. I couldn't agree more. Randy Niver, DeKalb Asgrove, technical agronomist, joining us from East Central Illinois. Randy, thanks for the time here on the program today. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. And once again, Randy Niver there with DeKalb Asgrove joining us as part of our harvest tour around the country. Harvest moving along very, very quickly and of course, uh, we're keeping our eyes on some of those final yields and much more. And uh, I know we'll continue to get a few updates uh, here and there throughout uh, the next week or two ahead as we work through the month of October and wrap things up across the country. All right, coming up next year on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Everyday products powered locally, including Cenex Roadmaster XL. Find your nearest Cenex location online at Cenex.com. We're going to have a conversation with Robbie Minnick with the National Cotton Council. Get his uh, updates from Washington, D.C., what they're looking for in the farm bill. All that much more is on the way next as we're back with more here on AOA, Agriculture of America, right after this. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. 
You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. The grains are mixed right now, but mostly lower. Wheat is sharply lower on the day. Corn is just down a couple of pennies. Beans are up a couple of pennies. Bean meal is sharply higher, while bean oil is lower. The grain and oil seed prices are continuing to reflect weak demand for U.S. product. Ample supplies of wheat from Russia and large supplies of corn and beans from Brazil at a time when both have much weaker currencies combined with low water levels on the Panama Canal and the Mississippi is making U.S. grain less competitive. Now on Thursday, USDA will release its WASDE report and the trade is expecting a modest reduction in corn and soybean yields, but it will also likely reduce export demand. Israeli rockets pummeled portions of the Gaza Strip today in retaliation to the weekend massacre by Hamas that killed nearly a thousand people while injuring many more. And that is leading to some nervousness about energy prices. Rising energy prices do present a risk to the economy with fossil fuels impacting nearly every aspect of the economy. Now, the Federal Reserve monitors core inflation that excludes volatility of food and energy prices, but sustained gains in energy prices eventually find their way to just about every other sector of the inflation equation. This also sent bond yields lower on the international market yesterday. However, the market was closed for Columbus Day in the U.S., Treasury yields initially went lower when they opened overnight, but they are currently recovering. Market action is reflecting attitudes toward the conflict in the Middle East, but it also reflects the comments made by members of the Federal Reserve that suggest that the central bank may be done with rate hikes in this current cycle. The Fed fund futures are putting odds of another rate hike this year at less than 28% this morning. That's down nearly 20 points from a week ago after members of the Federal Reserve suggested yesterday that rising Treasury yields on the long end of the yield curve need to be monitored and that the central bank may need to reduce its own restrictive policy as a result. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA today, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Joining us now here on AOA, pleased to have with us the National Cotton Council Vice President of Washington Operations, Robbie Minnick, is with us here on the show today. Robbie, great to have you on AOA. Hope you're doing well. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, let's just start with some updates uh, from the National Cotton Council in regards to the farm bill process. Uh, that's a big talking point, obviously, right now. Uh, we know we're dealing with a lot of turmoil on Capitol Hill and a, a delayed farm bill at this point. Uh, what are your priorities? How do things look from your perspective in D.C. in terms of getting a new farm bill done 
by the end of the year, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good question. It's a tough hill to climb. Um, You know, as you said, there is a lot going on in D.C. right now with the motion to vacate having passed in the House and and Speaker McCarthy uh, being vacated and no longer Speaker. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. Congress has a lot of uh, agenda items on their list. The biggest one is funding the government. Uh, Right now, we're working under a continuing resolution through November 17th. Uh, and unfortunately, because of this, uh, the, the vote that was in the House, uh, that ate up this week. Uh, they're not going to, doesn't look like they're going to vote on a new speaker until maybe middle of next week. Uh, mm-hmm. And we don't know how long uh, that may last. Is, is that vote quick and they get it done in a day? Or is it more similar to what we saw back in, at the beginning of this Congress, where it took uh, Kevin McCarthy 15 votes to become speaker and, and it drug out over several days? So all that's to say that that's eating into the time to to fund the government. Um, and I, I don't know that Congress is going to be able to uh, have all of the appropriation bills passed and signed into law by November 17th. And so they're going to have to address that at that point. Uh, then you get into the Thanksgiving holidays and then there's really just not a lot of time left before the end of the year. Um, and at this point, we haven't seen uh, markups in the House or in the Senate uh, agriculture committees on a farm bill that the staff are working. The leaders of the committees are committed to to getting a farm bill done. But it's quite clear that we're going to have to have a farm bill extension. Uh, the question then becomes how long? Is it a few month extension to get you into the spring or maybe early summer of next year in hopes that the committees can get their work done and then the, the full House and full Senate get their work done on a farm bill? Uh, or is it a year long extension until September of next year? Yeah, and I think that's going to be a big key, especially if it's a year long extension, then we're we're getting ourselves right in the middle of a presidential election year and more. So uh, that could cause some uh, issues as well. So a lot to figure out. What are some of the priorities uh, from the National Cotton Council's perspective? What are you guys looking for in this farm bill? Well, we're, we're looking at a couple different things. One uh, that's, you know, kind of a common theme among commodity groups, which is an increase in reference prices. Uh, with the inflation that the agriculture sector has seen, uh, the, the commodity uh, safety nets, uh, just really are, are ineffective at this point with the cost of production that producers are facing right now. Uh, in addition to that, cotton's a little unique in that there's a, um, a crop insurance program that's specifically for cotton producers called Stacks. Uh, but if you're in the PLC safety net program, you're not allowed to purchase Stacks as well. And so uh, we're kind of going to Congress and saying, look, producers need every tool that's in the toolbox available to them. Uh, so let's take that prohibition away. Uh, one of the other areas is the marketing loan program, which uh, cotton utilizes probably more than some of the other commodities. And we're looking to, to make some modernizations there uh, because that program really hasn't been touched in several decades. Mm-hmm. Um, for our, our uh, cotton producers out in the West who are growing ELS or Pima cotton, uh, they also use a, a marketing loan program, but it, it isn't the same as uh, the Upland marketing loan program. So trying to bring some parity there. And then finally, uh, for our our textile manufacturers, so the National Cotton Council represents everyone from cotton farmers to uh, textile mills that are buying the raw cotton, spinning it into a yarn. And we want to make sure that we have a domestic manufacturing uh, capability uh, here in this country. 
And so there are some farm bill programs that are, are there to specifically address that and hope to see some reinvestment there. Robbie, of course, uh, we saw an updated WOTUS rule a few weeks ago from EPA. Can you comment on that and uh, the Cotton Council's stance on the updated rule for WOTUS? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, back this summer, everyone was super excited when uh, we saw the Supreme Court ruling in the Sackett case. Uh, you know, everyone thought that uh, there was a good chance that that uh, that we would prevail uh, or the Sacketts, I guess I should say, would prevail in, in their case. Um, but no one necessarily saw just such a strong ruling from the Supreme Court. So we were, we were very hopeful that EPA would really uh, take that ruling, make the necessary changes and, and come back out with something uh, that would be more in line with, with, with how we view the court's ruling. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't seem like in, in EPA's uh, regulation they put out, they're really following what uh, the court said, and they had an opportunity to, to take something that's super complex and confusing uh, to folks on the ground uh, and, and add clarity to it, and yet they didn't do that. Uh, and then the other thing that was frustrating is that, you know, they could have put out a regulation and asked for comment uh, and, and tried to get input uh, and clarity from uh, stakeholders about, all right, uh, can we make some changes here? What does this mean? Uh, and yet it was just a final rule with no comment. And so very concerned, you know, it very well may end up back in the courts yet again. Well, definitely uh, great thoughts there. Something we need to keep an eye on for sure. We're talking with Robbie Menick, Vice President of Washington Operations for the National Cotton Council here today on AOA. And uh, Robbie, let's switch gears. Uh, I know I, I saw recently there was uh, news out about a cotton belt tour with representatives from 15 different countries, I believe. Can you talk about that tour and just the importance of it and how it highlights U.S. grown cotton? Yeah, absolutely. So th- that tour was done by Cotton Council International, uh, which is the uh, international market promotion arm for the industry. They utilize uh, market access promotion funds and foreign market development funds in conjunction with uh, producer funds uh, to uh, help market and, and, and highlight cotton internationally. And so one of the things that they do, which is, which is highly effective, is, is trying to look at some of their international country, is try to look at some of their international customers uh, and bring them to the U.S. To, so that they can see how uh, cotton is grown in the U.S., how it's classed and graded in the U.S., uh, and, and how it's uh, a superior fiber uh, and one that they should be choosing uh, in their in their uh, mills uh, wherever they are around the world. Uh, and so, you know, the, in using those funds, uh, they're really just trying to, to work with customers uh, to build uh, demand for U.S. cotton. Well, and I have to think some of that demand for U.S. cotton, um, you know, we, we've seen corn and soybeans struggle a little bit this year. I guess, how is demand for U.S. cotton right now, Robbie? Well, it's a struggle. Uh, you know, I, I, I look to our domestic mills, who are our best customers uh, here in the United States, and 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 they're, very, they're struggling. Uh, it, it's a very difficult environment for them right now. Um, you know, whenever you look at the uh, economy as a whole, there, there's, I, th- I feel like in the back of people's mind, there's this uh, a thought of a potential recession. You keep hearing about that potentially in the news. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're kind of a little bit different than some of the other commodities in that everyone's got to go to the grocery store every week. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go buy new clothes every week. 
and so if if things are tight and inflation and other um, you know macro factors, uh, at the end of the day, when you're you're putting your household budget together, um, you know going shopping uh, for clothes is something that you've got alternatives on uh, versus uh, buying food to put on the table for your family. Well, before we let you go, Robbie, any final thoughts you care to share with us? How is this year's cotton crop shaping up? Things like that. Uh, anything else final you want to share with us here today on AOA? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as far as the crop, uh, you know, in West Texas, they're still dealing with drought. Uh, and so that, that's been a, a real challenge for those growers. Uh, we've had different um, growing conditions in different parts of the region. Some folks are going to have a great crop. Some uh, won't have any crop. Uh, and and so uh, we're we're still monitoring that harvest is just kicking off in most areas of the country, uh, but you know here in D.C. we're just uh, laser focused on trying to get a farm bill done and get it done as quickly as possible because uh, again just kind of going back to those safety nets uh, producers need those uh, there for them they need them uh, working they need them to be effective uh, and. Uh, as this farm bill process drags on, it, it becomes a real concern, I believe, for them and their bankers uh, as they go into the next crop year about, all right, what's a farm bill going to look like? And so we're, we're focused on getting one done. Well, I know folks can stay up to date with uh, everything going on with the National Cotton Council very easily online, cotton.org. And we appreciate the time today with Robbie Minnick, Vice President of Washington Operations with the National Cotton Council. Robbie, thanks so much for joining us. We'll get you back on AOA again soon. Look forward to it. Thank you. And once again, great thoughts there with Robbie Minnick from the National Cotton Council. We do appreciate him joining us today and giving us some thoughts and insight into uh, what the Cotton Council wants to see in the Farm Bill and much more. All right, coming up next, before we run out of time here on AOA today, we're going to turn our eyes towards conservation. It's a topic uh, we've talked about before here on the program. I want to get a little bit of a refresher on Farmers for Soil Health. What exactly is Farmers for Soil Health? It's uh, something that's a collaboration between the Soy Checkoff, the Pork Checkoff, and the National Corn Growers Association. We're going to learn more about Farmers for Soil Health with Neil Bradyhoff with the United Soybean Board. He will join us coming up here after the break as we'll be back with more AOA Agriculture of America on the way right after this. Today's AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Back with more right after the break. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Co-op Month. Today, we're talking with Megan Woolley, Senior Director of Stewardship with CHS, about how CHS and the cooperative system supports youth to develop the next generation of ag leaders. Megan, why is it important to educate the next generation about cooperatives? Yeah, thanks, Jesse. So as the largest farmer-owned cooperative in North America, we're pretty strong believers in the cooperative business model. And we think it's critical that students understand its benefits to ensure that strong cooperative system going forward. So we see this as an important way for us to build both talent pipelines for agricultural cooperatives and also to plant that seed for future cooperative members to participate in the system. Well, how does CHS and the CHS Foundation support cooperative education? Our cooperative ed program has been around for 60 years, so we certainly have a strong commitment to this area. We've supported farmers unions, cooperative education efforts at both the national and the state levels for decades. Uh, this often looks like a summer camp or an educational cohort. And more recently, we've supported partners in developing online curriculum for teachers so they can help educate students in their classrooms across the U.S. on the importance of cooperatives. Together with our partners, we've introduced more than 150,000 students to the power of co-ops since just 2020. Fantastic. Well, we've been talking today with Megan Woolley, Senior Director of Stewardship with CHS, about how CHS and the cooperative system supports youth to develop the next generation of ag leaders. Megan, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Right now, we want to learn more about farmers for soil health. Joining us to discuss, Neil Bradyhoff with the United Soybean Board, Missouri Farmer. Neil, thanks so much for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well. Appreciate the time to talk about soil health. It's a very important issue. It is a very, very important issue. A lot of benefits uh, to soil health and how it helps uh, soybean farmers and, and, and much more. Just to start, uh, l- let's talk about some of those benefits and, and some of the things that you have been working on and others have been working on throughout, uh, throughout agriculture and throughout the soybean side, uh, looking at farmers for soil health, et cetera. What are some of the benefits to soil health? Well, with this Soil Health for uh, Farmers uh, partnership that we're involved in, it's really a promotion for uh, cover crops uh, and and, uh, adding cover crops after your cash crop, before your next cash crop. And uh, the benefits there are really uh, several, I would imagine. You know, in our area, we're in highly erodible ground, so it helps uh, 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 soil erosion. Uh, Also adds value to the, the soil. We've seen increases in organic matter. Uh, it gives you a little more resilience uh, through the drought times, through the flood times, and all of those uh, things. So it really, it really builds that soil up when you when you can put a cover crop on it uh, through the winter months. Well, I know this is a great uh, partnership, Farmers for Soil Health, with the Soy Checkoff, along with uh, our friends at the Pork Checkoff, and uh, also the National Corn Growers Association. Talking about some of those cover crops and just the benefits, are are you seeing certain cover crops that maybe perform a bit better than others? Or what's what's some of the thoughts there as you guys work through research and more with Farmers for Soil Health? Well, I, I guess I'll go back to my own experience on my on our own farm here. We've, we've been uh, using cover crops for uh, eight to ten years on probably half of the acres. Uh, it... it uh, it kind of, uh, well, like I said before, it, it helps with soil erosion, mm-hmm. but uh, the different varieties, we've, we've tried different species of cover crops over the years, and we've, we've settled on cereal rye for, for our farm, mainly because it overwinters, uh, and it, and it uh, puts a pretty good growth on in the fall before it does go into the winter. Uh, we've tried other species and, uh, that don't overwinter, uh, you know, we, we come in after a corn crop and plant it, some of that stuff will freeze out before it really adds value. So uh, we've been sticking with cereal, cereal rye, but the beauty of this program is that, you know, you can try different mixes uh, for your farm. Uh, you know, not every farm's alike. You know, we can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we can use one, one species and the next farmer can use others. So, I mean, uh, this gives you an option to try different different uh, different species of cover crops. Well, and I have to think uh, some of the points you mentioned as well. Using cover crops uh, just impacts more than just our soil, but improves you know any sort of runoff into our our streams and, and rivers, and and really just helps overall sustainability on our farms, doesn't it? Oh yes, that's that's really important part of the whole 
project here is to uh, reduce that runoff uh, and uh, and make that uh, that acre sustainable into the future. Uh, when you know we've we've no-tilled on our farm for close to 30 years, and that's helped. But this cover crop program really improves improves that uh, reduction of soil erosion, and meaning also not only soil, but you're keeping your nutrients on the field where they belong uh, for your crops. So uh, it, it, uh, it's really a win-win. Yeah, it, it does seem like a win-win and something that it, it seems it seems so simple, Neil, uh, for farmers to take advantage of. And it, it feels like more and more we're hearing the conversation grow surrounding cover crops and, and no-till practices and, and, and doing many of these things that you're talking about and that you have been doing on your farm for quite some time. There's There seems to be more farmers uh, starting to adapt and use a lot of these practices and, and different methods on the farm, it seems like. Uh, that's, that's definitely true. We're seeing more and more in our area. And I think, uh, you know, part of it is, uh, I guess the, you know, I, I always go back to the erosion, but the, the <laughs> sustainability, you know, we in the, in the soybean industry, our customers are always, always asking us, what are you doing on your farms to be sustainable? Well, this is really a vital part right here. This using cover crops and, and, uh, uh, making, like I said earlier, making that sustainable into the future. Well, Neil, great thoughts. Uh, anything else you would want to add just about Farmers for Soil Health? I know folks can learn more. Farmersforsoilhealth.com is a great place to start online. But anything else you'd want to add about the program or just some of the things that you are uh, doing on your farm or anything you'd want to reiterate today? Well, you mentioned the, the website. I would encourage every farmer to go to the website, Soil uh, farmershealth.com and you know it, it's not like you have to sign up your whole farm pick a farm you know pick a uh, pick a field or two here and there and just try it on a few acres uh, that's what we did when we started we just tried it on a few acres to see if it was going to work on our farm and uh, I would encourage everyone to to sign up a few acres and, and see how it works a lot of great resources there online farmersforsoilhealth.com Neil, before we let you go, also I should ask real quick, uh, I know harvest is in full swing. How are things looking on, on your operation and your neighbors around you there in Missouri? Well, we just finished harvesting our corn crop last night. So we're we're actually this morning getting the combine changed over and getting ready to start on our soybean crop. So uh and and most there's there's some soybeans being harvested around here. Uh, most are trying to finish up corn, but a uh, little of both going on right now. So harvest is we've had pretty, pretty good weather actually the last month. So harvest has went along pretty good for, for, for the area here. Fantastic. A lot of great things to think about. And again, farmers can find more information online by visiting farmersforsoilhealth.com. That's farmersforsoilhealth.com. Neil, we do appreciate a few minutes of your time here with us on the program today. Thanks for joining us and telling us more about Farmers for Soil Health. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Thank you, Jesse. All right. We're out of time here today on AOA, brought to you by Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil from Cenex. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have an ag policy conversation with Chris Clayton from DTN. We'll talk markets with Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge and much more. Thanks for listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day.
On the October episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we continued our discussion about sustainable aviation fuel. Sarah McKay from National Corn Growers Association talks about some of the work they are doing on the policy side. We work really closely with policymakers to make sure that tax credits that are available are available to help promote corn ethanol to be used for these processes, and in particular, the adoption of the GREAT model as the carbon accounting method to help bring these technologies and, and bring these opportunities closer to the marketplace. Lindsay Bowers with NCGA's Market Development Action Team provides some of the farmer and grain merchandiser perspective to SAF and corn. From farmer and merchandiser point of view, market development is huge and significantly impactful for what it can mean for agriculture. Getting it to the point where it's consistently and reliably used, it's a game changer. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind with the National Corn Growers Association. It's a show you don't want to miss. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the foundation foundation fighting fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.